0: You know, sometimes it's bigger than us. Sometimes it's truly out of control. It's truly nothing that we can do to stop it. So it's refocusing your brain a little bit to say, what can I do and where can I make the most good
1: Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighter's Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me today on another edition of Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the information on a firefighting topic you need in about 20 minutes. Now let's get started. It's getting hotter outside, and that traditionally signals the start of the wildland fire season in the U.S. Nowadays, of course, there is no real season when wildland fires burn. The season can be all year long in some parts of the country. We won't argue about the reasons why. Suffice it to say, wildland fires are growing bigger and more frequent than in the past. And as residents of the Northeast U.S. can attest, they are starting to burn in less fire-prone regions. With that in mind, and considering that this month is the 10th anniversary of the loss of the Granite Mountain Hotshots in Arizona, we're talking wildland fires. This time, it's a sort of primer on decision-making for those fighting fires in the backcountry and some lessons learned from a guest who's familiar to those who've listened to Code 3 for a while. Chad Costa is Assistant Fire Chief for the City of Petaluma, California. He's had 24 years of experience working in both urban and wildland firefighting environments. That includes time at Cal Fire and as an Operations Branch Director for California Interagency Team 1. And Chad Costa joins me now. Welcome back to Code 3.
0: Good job, Scott. I'm glad to be here.
1: You have had a good deal of wildland firefighting experience as well as structure fire experience. And since this is the time when wildland fire season really cranks up, this seems like a good time to discuss some lessons learned in the backcountry. Out west we have dual purpose firefighters who fight structural fires and also do wildland work. What would you say is a major risk
0: difference? It is California, right? And uh California is well known for for wildfires. Unfortunately, you know, many times fires in California because because we live in the we love to live in the country and in the trees and we like to move out of the cities and kind of get away from the traffic and, and the population, unfortunately, that is put us, you know, at risk to wildfire. So with California, you know, we we've had some drought seasons, but whether there's a drought or not, you know, we deal with the intermex or the interface, which is basically houses that are built in the forest or around brush or or just kind of out of the cities and and that i think that in combination with what just the weather here on the west coast specifically in california typically dry uh long periods of summer and then you you include the topography of the mountains some very big mountains you know the sierras and lastly probably the most uh, important factor with you know explosive wildfire growth is is wind uh, we deal with a lot of wind uh, in Northern California as well as Southern California, with the Santa Anas. and in my career, in my 24 to 25 years, uh, I remember, you know, working for Cal Fire, spending a lot of time in the summertime down south, down in Southern California, and what I've seen in the last 10 years is kind of that transition to where we've been spending more time in the north. Unfortunately, a lot more forests, uh, a lot. It's really difficult to get around the fire or stop the growth. Seeing a lot of communities burned down, it's been a it's been a rough few years for us. So here in Northern California, and then specifically in the county that I work in, Sonoma County, in 2017, you know, eighteen, 2020, um, some significant, uh, disastrous wildfires that that rank you know in the top ten for size and destruction. So. And all the significant differences other than uh, fuel, wind, and topography and combine that with drought, and this is, you know, this is where we're at.
1: Now, you mentioned that in the last few years, the circumstances have changed. Would you say that's a new normal? Yeah,
0: that's a good question. I think that's a question that all of us ask ourselves.
1: Do you go into each year thinking maybe this year it's going to be a little different, it's going to be a little less hazardous?
0: Yeah, that's this is a good question. Something I thought a lot of, lost a lot of sleep about over the last few years. And in 2017, when we had the destructive wildfire, the LNU complex, the Tubbs Nuns, there's quite a few that on um, that October. Um, we we all thought you know this was just kind of a a one time thing, or we weren't really sure if it was going to be the new normal. And then 2018, it happened again. I think 2020 had happened again, um, so so you know a lot of us were kind of convinced that this is the new normal. I, I hope it's not. Um, we did have a reprieve last season where it was, I would say, a, a fairly light uh, fire season there. But the big difference was is that last year, I can't remember any significant red flag events. Red flag meaning you know heat and wind and and low humidity all at the same time. Uh, we we didn't have those those critical fire weather events last year so we didn't see the destruction in california but but i think that what's personally for me what's engraved in my brain of what we saw you know the last 10 years um i do go into the wildfire season less hopeful if you will um i do expect there to be you know, destructive wildfires. We just kind of keep our fingers crossed and hope that the stars don't align to where we get into those critical fire weather periods where, you know, essentially, no matter what you throw at it, you're, you are you only can do so much good.
1: Yeah. The season has grown to be all year from some points of view, depending on where you live.
0: Yeah. I mean, we had a really strong winter this winter. Our lakes are full, um, there's a lot of smiles on people's faces. You know, we faced many years of drought, but, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't allow us to really keep our guard guard down. It might slow fire season or delay fire season, the upper elevations that still have snow, but the lower elevations now have significant grass crop. And, uh, it really just comes down to, to, I, I believe it just comes down to wind. you know, are we going to have a, a really windy summer, or are we can get that reprieve again, where we only have a few or or very little red flag events. I mean, fires happen outside of red flag events, but well, when they do happen in those those critical fire weather, you know, events, sometimes they're multi- last multiple days. Um, yeah, that just skyrockets our risk. So, so it's just kind of it's always just kind of a keep pay pay really close attention and be ahead of things and and the weather people are are amazing at giving us you know kind of triggers and heads up that something's coming so we can try to prepare as much as possible
1: yeah you know in arizona they've routinely said that if you have a wet winter that's great but it just means more fuel when everything dries out sure so in in structure firefighting you have a lot of acronyms in wildland firefighting, the acronyms aren't so big, but things like the 18 watchouts and the 10 firefighting orders. And so that makes me wonder: Is wildland firefighting more or less technically oriented than structure firefighting?
0: Me personally, I, I mean, I have a a strong passion for the wildfire environment. I spent some years with Cal Fire that kind of sparked my interest in 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 that environment um i i don't want to get too too much into an argument about one being more technical than the other I, I think both of them are super technical depending on depending on the building the fire environment you know people that are that are potentially trapped or are needing rescue and there's a lot of things in the structure environment that can make go fire very technical and even sometimes, you know, you look at injuries and and deaths and line of duty deaths, it'll, sometimes they just happen in, in a straightforward single family residence, you know, just because uh, the fuel that's inside the buildings now and, and you know, flashover and and just the, the rapid growth of fires that we're seeing in buildings with uh, the fuels that we're putting in them. But as far as structural of firefighting goes, I, I think it's extremely technical um, and what I mean by that is, if you think about a structure and how you attack a fire, and it depends on the type of structure, the size, where people are, the the building age, you know, what is burning, how how much is burning, all those things take we have to take into account when we do our risk assessment and we decide what kind of tactics and strategies we're gonna we're gonna use in wildland firefighting. It's this, it's no different. It's it's just sometimes mass a massive scale. So. We've, uh, I've been a part of the leadership of, of some fires, uh, you know, over a million acres. Um, I, when you talk about a wildfire and you kind of, you, you do that same size at that same risk assessment, you know, what are our values at risk? Is it, is it truly out in the forest where there's no houses and people would think, Oh, well, there's no houses. There's no people can't be that technical. What do you, you know? What is your risk? Well, you got to keep in mind that, you know, our trees, our forests, our ecosystems, um, our forest, you know, our forest lands that are being forested in for the buildings that 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 we live in, um, all of that are our values and some are of significant value. Uh archaeological sites. I mean, there's just there's so much out there in our in our in our world that we need to protect and that do have value. Um so when you talk about wildland fire. What where it can get extremely technical is now you have a large, rapid growing wildfire that is threatening, you know, communities, homes and and people's lives. And that becomes where I think is where that kind of nexus is to the technicality of of our decision making and that risk assessment really skyrockets when you start having these fast-moving wildfires that are burning through or burning down. Or or threatening communities and people's lives. And in California, specifically, I mean, I've gone to other states as well and dealt with similar issues, but it feels like here the wildfires are much more technical because there's just so many more houses and there's so much more threat or risk as well as you know value uh, that are in front of these things uh, and trying to figure out what you're going to try to save trying to, you know, many times it's just save as many lives and and ourselves as as much as we can, uh, save as many buildings as we can. And then they talk about buildings, you can get pretty technical with what buildings are you going to throw your resources at? What are you going to try to save? You know, those values, those valued buildings that are key to the, the life of the community after the fire, you know, schools and banks and, you know, just trying to, to To make those decisions about where you're going to put a couple resources. I mean, when you talk about a million acre fire, or you talk about you know a multiple multiple mile long fire front, you know, and you you have yeah, you have firefighters. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but there's surely no way that uh, that we have enough, you know, to protect everything. So so it does become super technical. Uh, and it can be, in my mind, uh, more technical than than the vast majority of structured fires, just depending on the size and the complexity.
1: All right. So, now, what is your most important experience that, you, that led to a lesson learned in the wildland arena?
0: Just two pop into mind. Um, the two completely different fires in complexity you know, like I mentioned earlier, Sonoma County and the area I live in has unfortunately been devastated by wildfire over the last, you know, five, I guess we're staring at maybe seven years now. And I'll tell you that one of the biggest lessons for me and, and just the changes is you're raised in the fire service to be aggressive. You're raised in the fire service to to get after it, you know, and, and to save whatever that is, uh, lives or buildings or the environment. I mean, that's, that's the culture that we raised that we're raised in. That's a culture that we stand by. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're there to save. And, and what I've, one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that, you know, these fires and some of these things that we're faced with, there's truly a, a helpless feeling and there's moments and there's days where you feel like, uh, you just can't do anything. Either you can't do anything right or you everything you try it isn't working. Uh, it can be extremely frustrating for for most firefighters, if not all, until you learn that lesson of, you know, sometimes it's bigger than us. Sometimes it's out, truly out of control. It's truly nothing that we can do, you know, to stop it. So it's refocusing your brain a little bit to say, okay, um, what can I do, and where can I make the the most good? And sometimes the most good is just getting the hell out of the way. You know, sometimes it's just saving yourself and your firefighters and that engine's lives. Sometimes it's um, just getting p- as many people as you can out of the way, either by an early warning, alert morning or just by throwing them in the back of your fire engine or your pickup. I mean, there's numerous stories of of firefighters saving people's lives, you know, in the last minute. So, so I think that's a big one for me is just, it's just accepting the fact that sometimes you're not going to win and ref and refocusing your mindset to, to where can you win? Sometimes little, little wins add up to big ones. That's been a big change for me quite frankly, most buyers that I've been to, you know, there's successes, large successes. They go out, you drive away and, you know, you feel proud about what you did and there's been quite a few days in the last few years where, where you know, I just put my head down and just you know, you know, it almost brings tears to your eyes and, and has, uh, just because you just you just kind of feel hopeless and, and like I said, it, it's just bigger than you. The other lesson learned is really how important you know we talked about acronyms you know in Cal Fire. In the wildfire environment, they use um, S facts, you know, the structure triage decision making process uh, where it talks about survival, the fire environment, access, you know, time constraints. And ultimately is trying to give us out on the line some some benchmarks to say and some evaluation marks to say, hey, we can stay here and fight or we need to get the heck out of the way and and, and leave because we're we're we may not survive if we stay where we're at. We've had some fires. I've had some experiences. Specifically, I'll talk about one in uh, Washington. In Washington with the Federal Incident Management Team, we were tasked with what I would say is a fairly small fire. It really wasn't large when we got there, at least in my mind, compared to what we've seen in California. Didn't seem to be super technical, but one of the things that was extremely important, and and I learned the hard way, was this area of the region had Every every four or five days would have a pretty significant wind event, and it had to do with geographical features that caused it to happen. And not living in the area it was kind of like, oh yeah, can't be that bad. I, you know, we 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 deal with wind. Unfortunately, one afternoon, uh, this wind event occurred, and and there were some people under my command that that were trapped by fire. And thank God, uh, they ended up surviving with no injuries. They essentially uh, were able to get into a – it wasn't – I don't know. You could call it a safety zone. You could call it a –
1: Was it a burned over area, like a black area?
0: Yeah. No, they didn't get burned over it. I mean, I'm not really sure if we want to call it a safety zone or not or a TRA. Those are kind of two terms used in the wildfire environment. It's probably more of a TRA than a safety zone, but a temporary refuge area. Anyways – no matter how good you plan, no matter how much you think about safety and escape routes and safety zones and TRAs, you know, sometimes uh, you just get caught. And and that day we did. Um, luckily, everybody survived. But just and really just re- as, as gut-wrenching as that afternoon was, quite frankly, I've lost a lot of sleep over that day. It, it just really reinforced that, you know what, sometimes... We just we just lose sometimes no matter how much we try and no matter how much we plan we we end up in, in these scary kind of bad situations and so, as a leader of of in wildfire as a branch director as somebody that's out there you know responsible for for sometimes a lot of people i I take the safety side of this job or I take the the importance of of what we're taught about you know escape routes and and really evaluating risk much more seriously than I ever did. I'll still consider myself an aggressive firefighter, but it's, it's way more cautious than I ever was. And really, that's just from learning the hard way, unfortunately. Learning that you know being too aggressive or too confident will, will bite you in this wildfire environment.
1: It sounds like it's something similar to being an aircraft pilot where you have to play that mental game in your head, what if? What if I lose an engine here? Where am I going to land? What if the what if the wind direction changes? Is the flame going to come up over that ridge?
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I, I think where the complexities of wildfire leadership come in too is you know in a structure fire, of course, a high rise or something, you may have a lot more people. But but I think that's more realistic to what we're dealing with. Is kind of that high rise situation where you have multiple floors, you have many many firefighters, you know, it's spread out. T- geographically in a building you have uh, a rapidly growing fire and as a leader on the fire ground you know unfortunately like for one uh the august complex i think the branch that i had was like 25 air miles and so it took me about it, it took me about two days to drive the whole branch the area that i was responsible for so how how can I really be everywhere at once? You can't. And you have to put a lot of trust in people. There's a lot of you have to give a clear direction and clear leaders' intent of what, what the task is at hand. And you have to really rely on your mid-management, your lower management uh, supervisors to to listen and to be paying attention and, and take that, you know, the those that direction that they're given, which is very difficult for for most, you know, chief officers or most leaders on, on in wildfire environment supervisors, just not having that control and having to really rely on on people to make good decisions. And it really falls back on us to to give good leaders' intent. Hey, what is the objectives? What are we trying to save? What are the values at risk out there so that they can make you know good decisions that hopefully save their lives and and others' lives as well. It's it it it's a challenge and it can it I've spent many hours sitting in a pickup or on a ridge somewhere, just stressed to the stressed out as can be, just, just hoping that everything falls together and the pieces come together. And you know, sometimes they don't.
1: That sounds like a good place to leave it for today. Chad Costa, thanks for talking with me today on
0: Code 3. Right on, Scott. Thanks for having me again.
1: And there's more on what you need to know about wildland fighting at our website, code3podcast.com backcountry. Now, if you're still here, that means you like this show enough to listen all the way through. Thanks. Please, if I could ask you a favor, go tell another firefighter about Code 3. Do it in person or online, it doesn't matter how. Just spread the word, that's the important part. Alright, that's it, that's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening, I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe.
0: To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.